There are fewer than 30 men in the world qualified to drive Formula One. A mere half dozen, perhaps, to win. At this moment, I'm inclined to think you're not one of them. Welcome to F1Weekly.com. My name is Clark Rogers. I'm the host of the program. I'll be joined by Nasser Hamid, my co-host. This is podcast number 1028, January 22nd, 2024, Nasser. Thank you, sir. I say signs in the sand. People on pole. Red Bull will show its legs on February 15th. Alan Permain may find new grounds. And we have a little Brazilian samba on the show. We shall explain gladly. Back to you, El Jefe. Thank you, Nasser. On today's program, Carlos Sainz Sr. wins the Dakar Rally for the fourth time. Nasser returns from the roar before the 24 hours, and he will give us all the nitty-gritty. And here's some big news. Marco Andretti joins the NASCAR Truck Series. I'm sure you're all going to get pumped up. Hee-haw! And remember, when Mercedes were dominating all the time, I think it started in 2014, well, some say that Max has saved F1. Okay, this week's interview, we have Enrique Bernoldi. We have a young Parker Ives from Karting. And uh, we do have a young, new F1 Weekly staff member. Nas will have all the details on that. And I just have to remind everybody one more time that we do need your contributions to keep this program on the air. Just click. On the Support F1 Weekly tab, you know you want to. Nas, I know you're exhausted. You've been hustling, bustling at the Daytona 24 hours pre-race. And I know you've put in a lot of time in this, but we have some fruit that's going to be exciting. Yes, sir. And I hope all is well on the left coast here in Florida. Things are going very right for F1 Weekly. Last Friday and Saturday were very productive. We're looking for quality, not quantity now, in our old age. Thanks to Miss Megan Hedrick of Riley Motorsports, I was able to have a 10-minute chat with Felipe Massa. Very pleasant and friendly he was, and fascinating story he has from delivering food to the Benetton chef as a teenager to being served food by the same person when he was driving for Scuderia Ferrari and, as he said, fighting for the championship with Lewis. Of course, we talked about Briatore's orders to tear down that wall in Singapore. I asked him about being teammate to the legend of Michael Schumacher and the uber legend of Fernando Alonso. And Mr. Rogers, Massa has some interesting thoughts on machismo. You should listen to him. We will have Massa's conversation on next week's podcast, so please do tune in. 
and we thank you for your support so sir this was very interesting very nice friendly uh, guy and i really felt sorry for you know how we explained to him what led to the loss of championship in his own words and what triggered him to file his lawsuit so we'll see how that uh, thing works out now on saturday evening okay we're talking like 9 30 p.m we had a wrigley's double the pleasure moment in the penske trailer and a 20-minute conversation with Felipe Nasser and Joseph Newgarden. I know we have interviewed in the past couple of young guys together, but I think this is the first time we have interviewed some big names uh, side by side, and they are both from the same team, Porsche Penske Racing at Daytona. So that was very, very good. So F1 Weekly is off to a good start in the 2024 season. Hopefully, the momentum will continue all season long. Did you watch any of the Collie action? Actually, I have Collie action on telly, on mute, of course, as we speak. Uh, did you watch any of the Collie uh, racing action from Daytona? I could not. Unfortunately, I didn't get those channels. But what can I say? I did read up on all the press releases and apparently Cadillac with Porsche right behind them. Yes, sir. And you haven't given me the NFL update. Who's going where? 49ers play the Lions for the NFC Championship. And you know what that means, Nasser. Will that be in San Fran or Detroit? Sir, Niners take care of business. We go through San Francisco. Open your golden gate. And what about the other side? The other side is going to be Baltimore against your friends, Kansas City Chiefs. Okay, cool. Very interesting. Very interesting. Okay, thank you for that. And we go back to motor racing. Ahead of the eight ball, Toto and Mercedes are hoping Ellison will provide winning transmission. James Ellison has signed a long-term contract to be Toto's technical wingman. How long this contract is for has not been disclosed. But Mercedes enjoyed a lot of success, especially you-know-who, under his technical directorship. Then he moved on to other projects. His replacement was Mike Elliott and his zero side part concept car delivered only one win in two seasons with George Russell, not LCH. And LCH and the team were totally left in the dust by what Lewis calls drinks company. So it's one of those things, be careful what you wish for just might come true. Hopes are high at Mercedes that Champagne will flow again as the 2024 car, W15, was developed under the guidance of Mr. Ellison. And you know, I met this chap at uh, Yas Marina 2019. Very friendly guy, I must say. We will see this car for the first time on February 14th. I say, Toto, it's called a motor race. Mr. Wolf said on Ellison coming back, and I quote, I am thrilled that James has committed his long-term future to the team. Put simply, he is the most impressive technical leader in our sport. His gladiator spirit, along with his knowledge, experience, and determination, make him second to none. His influence and impact, however, goes so much further than that. End quote. Now, let's see how far the car goes. I think they are back on the road to winning races, but I will be very surprised if they are winning championships before the 2026 rule changes. 
if they have a competitive package with two great travelers in the team, I think the atmosphere and environment will be like Williams with Mansell and PK or the McLaren environment of 2007. George Russell is not going to play Hakiko Valiling to Lewis, nor is he going to roll over, and I don't think the team will issue orders in the early part of the season. If one of them is fighting for the championship seriously in the last few races, then I can see uh, some orders. Mr. Rogers, question for you. Will LCH win championship number eight before Max wins championship number four? What say you? The answer is no. Of course not. But they will be fighting with McLaren while Red Bull apparently will have taken another leap and will be way in the front. But it could be a good dogfight between McLaren, Mercedes, Aston Martin, and Haas. Oh, absolutely. With Gunter Steiner driving? Exactly. A mad kind of driving. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, even if these cars are, let's just say, pretty much equally competitive, advantage still max because Oscar Piastri is not going to play second banana or second boomerang to Lando Norris. And we already know what's going to happen at uh, Mercedes. So... Uh, things are looking real good for Max uh, for 2024 and 25. There's a Ford in his future, and let's see what happens when he is spinning around on a blue oval. So time will tell. As always, there are hints and allegations from the other side. According to Eddie Irvine, who almost won a world championship without having a pole position to his name, as brought to my attention by Mr. Matt Bishop, the halcyon days of Hamilton and Mercedes winning are over. Based on form and performance of both the driver and the car, meaning Max and Red Bull, it is hard to disagree with Eddie. So, so much uh, expectations are on Max and Red Bull, and I just find it very hard to believe that somebody can just uh, topple them. But, you know, Michael Schumacher was uh, toppled by a team in I can't seem to find the face of the guy who did that in 2005. Who was that? Help me out. Oh, it's that guy that could be so machismo that some other drivers are, you know, don't like him. But it's okay. It's okay. It's part of that machismo inheritance. But no, it's going to be an exciting season. Folks, it's going to be great. We're going to have a lot of fun. This is all good for the viewer. Yeah, and you know, we're pretty much at the tail end of uh, January, especially by the time this is posted. And then we have a month of 29 days, February. And then, and in, in that month, we have preseason testing. So we're going to find out who's got the meat and who's got the potatoes and who's left with the gravy. And then, March, we have motor racing. Absolutely. And you have to use football, American football, as an analogy today. If you look at the teams that were playing in the in the final playoff games, we have new a new generation of these new young quarterbacks. Brock, Love. It's amazing. Josh Allen. And it's the same thing happens in every sport and it's happening in Formula One. We have new blood. And I'm sorry, Fernando and LCH. I mean, I like you guys hanging out and everything. But, you know, sometimes it's just time. To accept the fact that Old Man River, that old man.
just rolling along. Yes. Okay, now we come to nightly corruption charges. Singapore Grand Prix will not be affected by corruption charges being brought up against a former government official. Mr. S. Iswaran is alleged to have received over $100,000 in flights, hotel stays, and we're not talking Singapore Super 8 here, and Grand Prix ticket. All this and much, much more paid for by a property tycoon, Ong Bang Seng. He owns the rights to the Singapore Grand Prix. Mr. Iswaran will be singing a sad tune if convicted. Punishment is harsh and swift in Singapore. Just as Michael Fay. No one gets away. Moving on to Red Bull, they will be opening their new can of whoop-ass on Thursday, February 15th. The ingredients in the new flavor, which is called RB20, include airflow by Nui, hybrid power by GP2 Technologies, and industrial strength dosage of Maxocaine. In other words, good luck to the competition. Sir, a question I want to ask you. Among the drivers, who do you think will get a win for the first time in his career? The big surprise, it could be Piastri, and that would really unnerve Norris. And we know if there's a truck somewhere, Norris will get inside and cry. So there's a whole spectacle in itself to be watching because that's going to get really competitive. We know what's going to happen at Aston Martin, so there's not much to talk about there. But I think George Russell and Lewis Hamilton, if they've got a car that's going to make them a little competitive, there can be some interesting nuance. Yes, and you know, with Sainz Sr. winning Dakar, Junior made a comment that he outsmarted everybody. I'm thinking that Carlito now has new motivation to outsmart uh, his teammate, Charles Leclerc. So prospects are looking very good, at least on paper, that we will have some competition for Max. Max need not worry about... Uh, it reminds me of that FDR saying, you know, only thing we have to fear is fear itself. He does not have to fear his teammate. Checo might win some races, but for every race he wins, I think Max is going to win at least three or four. So there's no uh, movement coming from there which will derail his, derail his hopes. And once we have some serious threat from Ferrari, McLaren, Mercedes, it's going to become a very, very competitive. Can you imagine if first five, six races are won by five different drivers for a championship we will have? And when that happens, I'll wake you up gently. It has happened in the past. It's, uh, it won't be the first time. Oh, of course. No, 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 no. But I know what kind of era we are in. And we're in the dominating era. And don't forget, by the way, that Max Verstappen in the virtual world, and I'm not sure who he was playing against, but he won the Daytona 24 hours. Yes, that guy is designed and built for winning. And that's all he wants to do. You know, the thing I like about him, he really wants to do what he wants to do. He said he wants to do Le Mans, and he probably will do one of these days. And he's not one of those guys where they will say, oh, you're under contract to our team and you cannot do other manufacturers' um, events. So I look forward to seeing him. It, it would be awesome. Even he has mentioned about doing Lemo one day with 
your man, Machismo. Can you imagine Max Verstappen, Fernando Alonso driving for Toyota or Peugeot? Man, that will be something. Or Ferrari. Wow. That will be quite a statement. That's called the Dream Team. Exactly. Okay, sir. Now we come to our first of two interviews of the week. Young Parker Ives. Last year, Parker Ives won the championship in the Microsoft Pass of USPKS and was referred to as benchmark throughout the season. And as you know, um, you know, last, since last year, I've been going to a few um, karting events and I've also watched a lot of them on uh, YouTube. One of the names that keeps coming mentioned at the top in karting racing result standing is Parker Ives. So I thought, you know, we better talk to this kid uh, before he becomes, you know, a racing legend. And then we have access denied. So this was a very good opportunity. This year he is in the what is called a mini swift class. His father Greg is a championship winning crew chief in NASCAR with um, Hendrick Motorsports. And my thanks to young Parker for his time and to his mom and dad for making this happen at a short notice. And please enjoy the conversation. Okay, folks, I'm here in Miami-Dade with young, very fast, young American kid, Mr. Parker Ives. Parker, good to meet you. How are you today? Good. How is the weekend going so far? Pretty good, but we still have to work on some things. Like what? Like just some speed and pushing a little more. I watched some of your races last year. You were very impressive. And yesterday you passed 15 cards to finish fifth. Uh, you are moving fast. How old were you when you got the racing bug? And safe to say, coming from dad? I was five and yeah, probably. And your dad has been very successful as crew chief to Jimmy Johnson, still working in NASCAR. When you graduate from karting, what is your first choice? Go for stock car racing or single seaters? Mm, that's hard. That's a hard question, but probably just start racing cars and getting into more stuff and maybe trying to go to F1. Okay, and speak, we love F1 at F1 Weekly. Who is your favorite in Formula 1? Max Verstappen, just because he's, I just like the Red Bull thing. You know, some years ago, I think it was 2012, I went to Scusa Nationals in Vegas and there was Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc, Lance Stroll, and George Russell. So, uh, have you raced at Scusa events? I mean, in Vegas? Yeah, I have. Three times. And how have you done there? Mm, my first time, it wasn't so good. But my second time, I got fifth. And um, this year, well, last year, I got third. We could have done better, but yeah. I won all the heat races, but we tried to keep going, but there was just this kid. He would always just push me out of the way, so it was kind of hard. Now, last year you were in Micro Swift and this season in Mini Swift. Uh, tell us about your karting success so far, things that you're proud of that you have achieved in karting. Probably winning the USPKS championship and getting some GoPro championships and hope to get some more well i'm sure you will get there you're very good uh winning is the name of the game in racing who do you see as your main competitors for the championship maxwell matcha ashton marco samet royce vega troy ferguson and josh bergman and i think that's it drivers yeah very good competition which is always good right 
Okay, now, have you raced in European karting scene or plan to? Yeah, we plan to, but I haven't. No. We have plans to go there, but um, we haven't been yet, so it's going to be a new and fun experience. We're friends with Brandon Carr, and, and he stays with us, so... He's from the England, so pretty cool. Now, there are two major karting uh, series here, uh, SCUSA and USPKS. What are the main differences between the series and karts racing in them? Or, and do you prefer one over the other? No, I normally do both, but SCUSA has some more competition and more people from around the country than USPKS. Um, as you may know, Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg were rivals in karting also, and both became Formula One world champions. Are there some drivers you are racing against this season, or maybe last year also, that you expect to race against them maybe in 10 years? No, not really, but it'd be cool. Now, as a young kid, do you feel extra pressure when your dad looks at your data and gives you feedback? No, not at all. You sure on that? Yes, I just take what he says and go out there and do it. And, you know, based on his success, what is the best racing advice he has given you? Probably yesterday, as I was slowing up in a corner, corner, he just told me to go go straight and then turn, and it was a lot faster that way. And you listened to him? Yeah. Okay, good boy. Okay, now we have three Formula One races here in the U.S. Have you been to a Grand Prix here or overseas? No, but I would like to because it would be cool. I did not go to Vegas, but I've been to Vegas, uh, the Austin track. That's awesome. And Miami Grand Prix is a lot of fun. Okay, finally, I thank you for your time. Will you please tell our listeners, we have listeners everywhere around the world and in the U.S., your uh, social media, you have a website, how they can follow your uh, career? Your Instagram or Twitter account? My Instagram is, I think... Okay, so you are on Instagram. Yeah, yeah I have. Ives Parker. Yeah. Ives Parker or Ives Racing. And... Parker Ives. Uh, he's on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Ives Racing on Facebook. Or Greg Ives. You can always go search for his dad. Me. Okay, so. there you <laughs> go. Okay, thank you so much. Parker, thanks for joining F1Weekly.com. We're going to go to a quick break and we'll be back. After these brief messages. Hi, I'm Enzo Fittipaldi, and you guys are listening to F1 Weekly. Welcome back to F1Weekly.com. Clark Rogers here, your host. And now, as we spin the globe and go around the world with Motorsports Mondial and the king, the Swami himself, Nasser Hamid. Thank you, sir. And now we present our new segment, Rafa Report. Rafaela is a Brazilian racing fan, serious racing fan, I should say, based here in Tampa. My obrigado to her and Senor Igor for her contribution to the show. We look forward to more. Please enjoy. And Miss Rafa, thank you very much. Bom dia, F1 Weekly Familia. My name is Rafaela, and it is my pleasure to be on the show to present the Rafaela Report, in which I will feature news and information from the world of motorsport. 
I'm originally from Curitiba in the state of Paraná in Brazil, which is also the hometown of Ricardo Zonta and the home state of Felipe Drogovic. I have been a motorsport fan for a while as my father was a steward for over 20 years and my mom works for my state's federation for almost 30 years. So my first feature on F1 Weekly, I would like to present Girl Power. And today, I would like to talk about the new F1 Academy series, which was started by the FIA after the Formula W series went off track. The all-woman Formula W championship ran for three seasons, and the same driver won the championship each season, Jamie Chadwick. Then, the FIA got involved and launched the F1 Academy for the 2023 season. Ladies between 16 and 25 are allowed to compete in 15 identical cars, like Formula 1 cars they run on Pirelli tires, and in the 2023 seasons there were 21 races, 3 per weekend. Marta Garcia from Spain is the first champion of this new series, with 278 points. She won two of the first three races in the opening round at the Red Bull Ring in April. Marta scored five other wins at Valencia, Monza, Chuepo Ricard, and one in season finale in Austin. She raced in the first season of Formula W in 2019 and finished fourth. This season, she has a fully funded ride in Formula Regional Europe by Alpine with the top Italian team Prima Racing. Swiss driver Lena Buller was second in the championship. Her first win of the season came in round three at Barcelona. Her second and final win of the season was in race two at Monza. Lena started racing at the age of 17 and is following in the footsteps of another Swiss driver, Simona de Silvestro. Third was Hamda Alcubasi from United Arab Emirates with 207 points. She had four wins, one in Valencia, two in the Dutch event and one in Austin. She and Marta were the only drivers who won more than one race in a weekend. Hamda's sister, Amna, also raced this championship and finished sixth with 117 points, winning two races, Red Bull Ring and Barcelona. Their papa, Khaled Alkabasi, has raced at Le Mans and is a senior executive at Mubadala Investment Company, which is managing the wealth funds of Abu Dhabi government. Looking forward to the 2024 season of F1 Academy. The opening round will be the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix in March, and there will be six other rounds in Miami, Barcelona, Zandvoort, Singapore, Qatar, and the season finale in Abu Dhabi. Bianca Bustamante, the race from the Philippines, was recently taken into McLaren Younger Driving Program. She is based in San Jose, California, and won two races last season to finish seventh in the championship. She will compete again in 2024. Julia Block, 17-year-old American daughter of the late rally cross legend Ken Block, who raced in the series with Williams' affiliated team. And starting this season, each Formula One team will have their livery on one of the cars. Thank you for listening. I look forward to another lap with F1 Weekly soon. Racing regards from Rafaela. Miss Rafa, the check's in the mail. Thank you. Back to you, Nasser. Thank you, sir. Now we have some action from around the world. Dakar, like you mentioned, first ever win for Audi and number four for Carlos Sainz Sr. And I hope they have good humble pies in Qatar because Nasser Atiyah had said before the event that Audi will go home on day four. And as it turns out, yeah, they're going home with the winning trophy and he did not even finish the event. So, you know, be careful what you wish for just might come true. Did you watch any of the events, sir? 
Yes, very exciting. Once again, I mean, the beauty of the desert and the machismo. And, you know, Carlos was struggling. You know, we listened to some of his interviews, but in the end, Nasser had complete mechanical breakdowns, and so did Loeb. I mean, he had like four punctures. It was brutal towards the end. And that's where that good karma comes in on the last legs. And, you know, I don't know why I did not notice when it was Paris to Dakar, but when the event moved to Atacama Desert, Peru, South America, I was blown away by the what you just said, beauty of the desert. And it is the same in Saudi Arabia. The desert is so, so beautiful. Hard to believe the desert can be so beautiful. So it's it's good, and it's it really has become a huge, huge international event like Le Mans and Indy 500. It's good that Audi won because now they don't have to worry about winning this event. They have won this. They have won uh, Le Mans many, many times. So it's time now to put all DAS resources into Formel 1, as they would call it. So let's see uh, how that will go. Okay, sir, Daytona 24 qualifying. Brazilian people, Dirani puts Cadillac on pole for next weekend's 24-hour race. And it is with the new track record. Top five from Kali are, first, of course, people, Dirani in the Whelan Engineering Cadillac. Second was another Cadillac, this time from Chip Ganassi Racing with one of your fellow Francais, Sebastian Bordet at the wheel. Third, Porsche Penske Motorsports car, Felipe Nasser at the wheel. Fourth, American Connor De Filippi in Bobby Rahal's BMW. This is the official BMW hybrid uh, car that Bobby Rahal's team is running. It's called RLL, Rahal Letterman Lanigan team. And fifth is Louis Delatraz. You remember Monsieur De, Monsieur Delatraz from Formula One? Of course. Yeah, he's the son of this Swiss driver, and he is in the Wayne Taylor Michael Andretti Racing Acura. So we have a good selection of different manufacturers. Sports car season is booming here in the U.S., which I'm very happy about, and also in the WEC series in Europe, which I'm also very happy about. The Peugeot looks very good. The Ferrari is beautiful. And uh, let's just hope the sports keep blooming every which series and every which direction. Do you have any plans to any attend events in California this year? Not really, but I'm thinking of going to some events in France. Like which one? The Circuit d'Angoulême, back in, uh, it's in September, which is a great vintage race. I might go to Pau Grand Prix, just because it fancies me. I don't know, I'm retired, Nasser. And when is Pau? May? I can't remember right now. I'm in the same boat as you are retired, so I'm also looking to get as much motor racing action in my life before airlines say, you know, you're not able to, you, you can't fly, you're too old or too falling apart. So and these things will happen one of these days. Okay, sir, more action, Formula Regional and Formula 4 from the Middle East. Their season is now underway. Round 2 for both series took place past weekend at Yas Marina. Man of the moment in Formula Regional Middle East is Tuka Taponen from Finlandia. Surprise, surprise. He is in Ferrari Driver Academy. I met him last year at Monza, but time constraint could not do an interview. He leads the championship, and all races for both series are available on YouTube. 
American McLaren Jr. Ugo Ugochukwu is also competing in the Formula Regional Series in the Middle East. Now we come to Mr. Alan Permain. Alan Permain, who was at Instone from the days of Michael Schumacher and Fernando Alonso for over 30 years, of course, meaning Benetton and, and Renault, he may be joining AlphaTauri, or whatever they are called, in the 2024 Formula 1 season. There has been a lot of talk that the team will be called uh, Visa, Cash App, RB, because somebody spotted them changing their handle on Instagram, but I'm not sure if that has been confirmed. Do you have any update on this, amigo? That is the rumor, Visa, Cash App. It's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing how these stake and Visa and, and I remember they had a for a few races Mastercard Lola. I don't mind Mastercard Lola, but why can't we bring back Marlboro? JPS Mercedes would be cool. Exactly. I mean, come on, cigarettes are good for you. The full, rich flavor comes clean through to you for real smoking enjoyment. Winston, Winston, tastes real good. Rich and full like a cigarette should. Brings real flavor back to you. Try a pack of Winston. Really? I saw it on an Italian television show once. Yeah, well, I remember as this was some years ago, I was watching how involved the tobacco industry was back in 50s and 60s. And I remember the guy saying that in the 50s, one of the most popular family shows was sponsored by one of the major uh, tobacco companies. But, you know, things change and here we are. Okay, sir, now we come to our second interview, Senor Enrique Bernoldi. I met him a couple of weeks ago at the Miami Homestead Scusa Kart comp Competition, where his son Bernardo was racing. In 1996, uh, Enrique won the Formula Renault Euro Cup which, if you recall, was a very serious um, championship in Europe in those days. And he was same year third in the Macau F3 Grand Prix. He was second in the 1998 British F3 championship behind fellow Brazilian Mario Heberfeld and ahead of another compadre, Luciano or Luciano Burti. Very nice and kind of Enrique to give his time at a short notice. And uh, I also would like to thank his son, Bernardo, because he was the one who was running around fetching him for me. So much appreciated. So please enjoy this conversation, and we will talk more after this. Okay, folks, I'm here in uh, Miami Homestead with Enrique Bernoldi. Enrique, good to meet you here. How are you today? Yeah, nice to meet you. Yeah, I'm fine. Watching my son race at the Florida Winter Tour, so enjoying the day. Uh, can you tell us, uh, Bernardo is sitting here and smiling, uh, nice young kid, um, about a little bit about his racing background, what he has done so far? Uh, he, he started um, his first proper go-kart, uh, he got uh, mid of 2022, and he did two local races in California in 2022, and last year we moved to the Nash team, that we are here now, and uh, he started racing mainly locally in, in California. Then by mid-season he started doing some national races, getting some experience, you know, uh, and that's uh, his, I can say this is his second year racing, so first race of the season. So far, I think well, I'm quite happy with his development. Is he faster than Papa when you were his age? <laughs> yes, I think uh, when, I was, when I was just driving for a year and a half, uh, he would have beat me, yes. 
Oh, that's good to hear. Okay, you had a very successful karting career in Brazil. Who were some of your competitors who also went on to become professional racing drivers in international competition like yourself? Yes, my main competitors when I was uh, Bernardo's age in, in karting, it was uh, Elinho, Helio Castroneves, Tony Cannon. Uh, we, we had many, many good people that got uh, far, like uh, Antonio Pisonia, uh, Bruno Junqueira, so Cristiano D'Amata. Many of us uh, made to Formula One. Most of them made also to IndyCar. So I believe that was quite a very good group in Brazil at the time. Brazilian karting was very strong, produced some good drivers worldwide. Absolutely, and I interviewed uh, Castro Navas uh, a few months ago. Okay, you are from Curitiba. Are you friends with Senor Ricardo Zonta? Yes, I forgot to say Zonta. Zonta was also. Uh, racing with me, he didn't do much karting, but uh, he made to Formula One. We raced together in Formula One. We are from the same town. Also, Tarso Marquez is from Curitiba. I remember in Canada 2001 in Formula One, we had on the grid three drivers from Curitiba, so that was quite interesting. Yes, very impressive. Now, uh, you, you went to Europe as a teenager. Who was guiding and managing your career at that time, and how big was the cultural uh, shock for you? You know. Uh, mid-90s when I went to Europe it was quite different world you know it, people didn't have like a like a manager or like a like a coach or stuff like that I went by myself um, I got help from like um, from a sponsor in Brazil which paid paid a year for me to race in front of Reno and I started to do well and I won the championship the European championship and from from then Gianfranco De Bellis, which is the owner of Tatus, they make the chassis. He became my 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 manager, and he started to help my to manage my career in Formula Three, British Formula Three, which was the, the following year. So I would say Gianfranco was the first. Gianfranco De Bellis was the first manager that I had. Now you were inspired by two great Brazilian world champions, Nelson Piquet and Ayrton Senna. As we all know, they did not like each other. Question is, whose side were you on when they were racing? Were you a Senna fan or a PK? Ah, Senna, yes. Uh, Senna was my idol, yes. Yeah, he was incredible. Okay, you mentioned winning the championship, which I believe was the Formula Renault Euro Cup 2.0. A very competitive series in those uh, days, and I understand you won on your debut. Uh, Tell us about that race and uh, who were some of the drivers who you beat that day. Yes, uh, in 95, I did um, my first... Formula Renault race. It was the last race of the season, and I was in Monza. And I, I started eight on the grid. It was a short race because we got delayed because we had fog in the morning, so we, the program couldn't go on in the morning. So I ended up racing, leading, winning the race on the last lap, passing on the outside, with overtaking on the outside on the last corner. So it was quite a quite an exciting race for me. Uh, we had like a, in Formula Renault. I had my opponents. We had like a, a David Sellins. We had a Jeffrey Van Hoydong, guys meet. We had some uh, Frank Montani, uh, Sebastian Joras, um, Sebastian Bourdais. So we had like we were like quite a good group and was quite competitive because we were doing most races were the pre- preliminary of Formula One. So if you do well, you could show up show off yourself to uh, in front of the Formula 1 paddock and that was quite good. Now when you were young and trying to establish yourself in, uh, in it, when you were young and trying to establish yourself in England and Europe you got a call from an unknown doctor can you tell us that story please? Yeah. It was already uh, 
I have done a Formula Renault, which I won the championship. I did a two years British Formula 3. And I I was at home and, and Dr. Marco called me and uh, I had no idea with who I was talking. And I, I thought it was a mistake at the beginning because I wasn't sick. And I, I heard like Dr. Helmut Marco and I was thinking, I'm not ill or anything. So yeah, he gave me the, his phone number and he asked me for my CV, and then uh, which he knew already how it was. But uh, once my manager came to watch my last race, he saw the, the, the name, Dr. Helmut Marko. And he said, why is reading Helmut Marko here? He said, because this doctor called me and asked for my CV. And he said, do you know who my guy is? I said, no. He said, he's an ex-Formula 1 driver. And, yeah. and so, yeah, so that's why we, we got in contact again. And then, uh, yeah, from there we signed the contract. Now, we called at our podcast a Red Bull Junior program, Red Bull Abattoir, because this is very ruthless program. You saw what happened with Nick DeFries. How did they treat you? How, what was your experience with Dr. Marco? Is he a fair guy? Dr. Marco is a hard guy, of course. You know, once you are there, you don't have many chances to do a mistake. And that was always put very clear for me. Uh, I was the first driver that they, they, they put to, to, to Formula 1. So, and my contract went until the end. So for me, he was fair, you know. Even knowing that he's a bit like, a, let's say, hard and harsh with some, some drivers, for me, I had no problem with him. So... Imagine he, he saw what I could do, he saw my talent, even we, without getting good results in Formula 2, which was called Formula 3000 at the time. We had some, in the second year we could have won races, we could have won two or three races, but the car always had some failures and so on. Without having the, the results on paper, he still believed that I was talented enough and he, and he put me in Formula 1, so I have no, no complaints about him. That's good. Okay, now it's often written that at Sauber, Sauber lost the Red Bull sponsorship because they wanted to uh, have one driver, Kimi Raikkonen, and then, you know, Red Bull was interested in you. How did that thing work out from your point of view? I think it was more, more in, in the picture, had more things involved than only two drivers fighting for a seat. Red Bull wanted to have a, a team, as they have now two. So they wanted to be involved in the team and not only be a sponsor. So I think that and Sauber wanted, wanted to not lose control of the team. So the issue was that uh, as I was coming from Red Bull, it was convenient for Sauber to push for somebody else. So ties would be a little bit more cut, you know. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, Kim is a great driver. He world champion, you know. Uh, at the time, I had more experience, and uh, on those days, I was faster. And Sauber tried to to make him look faster, which upset Red Bull quite a lot. And now we know what happened. Yes. Okay. Now Macau is one of my favorite tracks, and you have been on the podium there in Formula Three. How would you compare this track to other street circuits you have raced on? Macau is very unique. I don't think you can compare to anyone. You know, it's a, it's a street race which were uh, at Formula 3 at the time when, when I was racing there even being in a it, it, the, the track is so particular that I had in my Formula 3 the slowest speed corner ever in my Formula 3 which is in a first gear corner which there is always a yellow flag because two cars would not go around if they are side by side and at the same time I had my fastest top speed in, in fifth gear in Formula 3 so it's so it's so unique because you have such a long straights 
you need to if you carry downforce to be fast up the up the hill on the on the infield on the on the twisty part you're gonna be very slow in the straight line and you're not gonna have the lap time so Macau is a track that I'm, I'm sure values the skilled driver quite a lot and I was on the podium there twice on my rookie year and then on my second year which I should have won because it's a, it's a pity the way the way the result was uh, determined because it was the the counting of the, the the time from both races and I had a win in a third place the guy that won actually he's a friend of mine Peter Dumbrack and I always joke with him say you won without winning he never finished he never crossed the checkered flag first so he had a third place and a second place so of course, everywhere in the world a first and a third would be better and uh, I lost it so but uh, yes that's a it bothers me a little bit for sure but it's a great track it's a, a amazing race now you Kimi Raikkonen Fernando Alonso and Juan Pablo Montoya all made their Grand Prix debut 2001 in uh, Australia how big I mean it's so hard to get to Formula One how big was that day in your racing life and what do you remember most from that day that day was very significant in my in my racing life because imagine that once you go you you have your debut in Formula One is a day that you will never forget. Unfortunately, my day only lasted three laps. I was in a fight with Kimi Raikkonen, and I think, you know, being what happened a few months before with Sauber, with Red Bull, you know, I think that um, early, early stage of the race, we both had full tanks, and we both fight very hard, and I think maybe I got, I took a little bit to the personal side, and end up doing a mistake trying to pass him that touched the, the, the wheel on the grass and I end up spinning and crashing the car so was not a was a very good day to be in Formula 1 a very bad result to end your debut in the lap 3 now that season you had a Dutch teammate his son is doing okay in Formula 1 these days how good was Jos the boss and why did the relationship change after Austria his son is not doing okay. His son is doing <laughs> amazing. <laughs> For him, it's okay. There's a lot more to come. Yeah, there's a lot. Of, I'm sure there's a lot more to come, and maybe he will hold a lot of records in Formula One. And I and I'm a big fan of the way he drives, the the style he has. Plus, Max is a, such a nice guy, uh, very humble, down to earth. So. You know, doesn't matter. You should be hard with your opponents on the racetrack. That's what everybody wants. Jos was a very aggressive driver. He was uh, very fast on the start, very aggressive on the start in the first few laps. I, I beat. I ended up beating him in the qualifying. So in my rookie year. So I, on pure speed, I was faster than him. But he had a good qualities. He could break very late. He was very aggressive at the start, and that's what his that was his character, and that's uh, you see a little bit of that in Max now, the way Max drives. You know, when, once you you drive for a small team, you don't compete very much with the others, sometimes. And once at the time you only score points if you get to top six, it was so hard. So your main op opponent really is your teammate. And I think he felt the pressure that a rookie was beating him in qualifying. So we we were after Austria we were not having very good turns because he crashed the car and he ended up stepping in my car and then he drove my car and I, I was out of the free practice tree and 
that was I didn't like so much. So uh, we did a. We sort of like start to have some arguments after that. Now, you know, if you mention the name Senna, you think of Prost. If you say Prost, you think of Senna. I'm going to tell you, any time I'm talking to any of my racing buddies, when the name DC comes up, your name comes up. <laughs> okay, so we're talking Monaco Grand Prix. Schumacher passed you, but the guy who was chasing him for the championship could not pass you for like 40 plus laps. Now, after the race, Ron Dennis and Norbert Hogg spoke to you as you were walking towards your team. Uh, will you please tell our listeners what was the warning Ron gave you? And what did you think of it? You know, it's a cool that he... He stole the car on the on the formation lap, so he started last, and we were fighting for a position. And you know, two laps before, I had to let my teammate pass, which was I wasn't happy because they, it was a call from the from the team. And then suddenly I see Cooter behind. I say, okay, another one will pass because the fastest guy on the track, he was a pole position. And I sort of, I, I let the door open a little bit for him twice. And I almost crashed into the, going to the marbles. And he didn't commit to the pass. And I said, well, I almost crashed twice. So I'm not going to let it open anymore. So I just drove and I tried to not to do a mistake. Hold him for 44 laps until I had to go to the pits for fuel. And Ron Davis wasn't happy about it. He said that uh, was not supportive for me to fight with the championship leader. But I said to him, well, but uh, we were fighting for a position and we have rules. Uh, I didn't do anything wrong. And he said, well, if you don't learn a way to fight, to, to race, I can finish your career tomorrow on Monday. Amazing. Now, I was watching that race and I am a race fan and I love what you did. It was a very exciting to see. Okay, now, different people have different opinions of your Eros team boss, Tom Walkinshaw. How was your relationship with him? Well, let's say, put this way, I had a better relationship with Dr. Mark than with him. Wow, that, that's quite a statement. Shall we leave it at that? Walkinshaw, you know, it's... We, we were not, we never been like really close. Uh, even if I drove two years for him. The situation at Eros, he was the team principal. I would say the, sec, uh, the vice president was Daniele Aldetto, which was closer to me than Walkinshaw was. I speak Italian, Daniele is Italian. Plus I had Helmut Marco, which was like my manager at the time. So I sort of had two bosses and um, I was always closer to Red Bull side. I was more a Red Bull driver than a I always been a I was actually let's say a landed driver to to arrows. Now since you have such a good opinion of Dr. Marco, would you like to see Bernardo in the Red Bull program? I would love to see that but uh, he's still so far ahead, you know, he's just beginning and uh, the main thing for him is to develop, to get experience and if one day the, the chance comes, I would love to see him there, you know, I've I been there, I would love, you know, they are the best team in Formula 1 now, but I also would like to see him maybe at the Ferrari program or with Toto Wolves program, so of course, it's, uh, it's, it would be a dream. Yeah, I hope it works out. Now in 2008, you raced Indy cars and finished 15th in the Indy 500. How challenging was adjustment to oval racing? And I want to get your opinion of the crowd at Indy on race day. I think it was a little bit difficult for me in the ovals, especially because I was racing with Conquest. And uh, with Conquest, uh, they were not very, very much experienced in, uh, in ovals. They were a champ car team. So 
we struggled a little bit with the setup. We we couldn't test. We never test in a oval, so it was a little bit difficult for sure. We had some good races on the on the street courses. I finished fourth at Long Beach. I finished fifth at St. Pete uh, because it rained also. Yeah, that that helped. But India would say out of the oval races was my best race because it's sort of more like fits more like a driving style because you go you do like a outside you don't like a normal line you have like four corners to go outside inside outside that's how you do it in Europe that's how you do it all over the place and some of the ovals which were just flat out stay on the inside line the peak performance of the car counts much more than the driver so we struggle a little bit on that but uh, Indy 500 was the best race uh, of the year for me not the best result but was the experience to finish and also the the crowd is very passionate the parade the day before when you go out for in a restaurant during the week we used to stay there for three weeks people would recognize you and in a restaurant so it was India is very popular there so it was quite nice now Senna was the last Brazilian world champion Felipe Massa is trying to change that what is your opinion on what he's trying to do it's difficult to have an opinion you know I wasn't there I wasn't racing you know it's it's a little bit I really don't know what to say now finally my favorite question we ask all racing drivers will Lewis Hamilton win championship number eight before Fernando Alonso wins championship number three what say you I would say Lewis wins championship eight okay thank you so much finally would you like to have a message we have listeners all over the world including your nation uh, would you like to say something I think uh, racing is growing a lot also thanks to to Netflix to with the, with the Formula One show I think racing is growing and I wish that the kids get a lot of interest a lot I hope that the companies get interest to, to sponsor and because it's such a expensive sport you know would be nice to see yeah, talented kids having chances and that would be you know would be because sport you know sport for me is the best thing that you can do you know you take, take your kid out of trouble it's peaceful you know even if we are sort of like battling here but we are we are battling in a fair way thank you so much Enrique Obrigado the F1weekly.com back to you Nasser thank you sir and now we come to famous last words we can always count on the good Dr. Marco for a doozy. This is what he had to say about uh, Gunther Steiner leaving the building at Haas F1. He said, and I quote, Anyone who becomes too popular through a documentary like Netflix tends to take off. But if you fly too high too fast, you also crash faster. I've only heard that he wanted to convert his popularity into shares in the team. That no longer appealed to owner Gene Haas. Steiner became a victim of his popularity. End quote. I note with interest missing from Dr. Marco's statement were the comment saying something like, Gunther Steiner has a German name, but he is Italian. They are emotional. And that was zinger of the day. Mr. Rogers, this is an interesting comment that he wanted to convert his popularity into shares in the team. Which, if Dr. Marco is saying, maybe there is some truth to it, I, I don't know for a fact. But you know what was interesting, and I just could not believe this driver would, would do this. There was this driver, Brad Keselowski, who very talented NASCAR driver, and he won the championship uh, with Roger Penske. What I heard, that he left Penske because Penske would not give him part ownership in his team. 
I mean, you gotta be kidding if you think Roger Penske is gonna give a, a part of his empire that he has built uh, over his lifetime to a driver. And this would be like Montoya asking Ron Dennis of all the people, give me 10% of McLaren. What say you? It's ridiculous. We know what Patrick Head would say about drivers. So, ha! Yeah, we call this delusions of grandeur. I mean, Steiner probably did try to sell shares of his popularity because he saw it skyrocketing once he got his CBS reality show. He thought he was going to be on the next U.S. stamp. Things get out of control up here in the gray matter. Yes. Okay, sir, that should do it for the show today. Anything you want to say about upcoming testing, predictions? Hmm. Testing is uh, February 21st to the 23rd in Bahrain. That is what I do know. And I noticed that uh, Laguna Seca is doing some good stuff. They're now in the class of um, the vintages, you know, when they do their annual get-together motorsports reunion. Now they're going to have the Mario Andretti trophy for the Formula One cars from 66 to 1985. Then they have for IMSA, ALMS, and Grand Am from 91 to 2011. It's going to be called the Scott Pruitt Legends of Endurance Cup. I really like this. Trans Am, 66 to 72. What else could they call it? But the Parnelli Jones Trans Am Trophy. And for 1955 to 1969 saloon cars, it's going to be called Dan Gurney Saloon Car Enduro. And they have to bring in Ken Miles, and this is going to be for 55 to 67 SCCA large displacement production cars. It'll be called the Ken Miles 60s GT Trophy. One more just for fun. Jim Hall USRRC Cup from 63 to 68 sports cars. We have Peter Gregg Trophy, Hurley Haywood, your favorite trophy, Pedro Rodriguez Trophy. Briggs Cunningham, Skip Barber, John Morton, and uh, there you go. I think these are great changes. It's going to inspire a lot of people, and we'll see what happens in 2024 at Laguna Seca. That's all I got, Nass. Very interesting and good to see these uh, big names, Parnelli Jones, Mario Andretti. You know, speaking of Dan Gurney, I once introduced him to a friend of mine. This was many years ago, and this guy was following motor racing Formula One since the mid to late 50s and uh, first thing he said to Dan Gurney was Dan I remember when you took a Ford I think it was a Galaxy or some big American Ford to uh, Britain British touring car uh, with a Chevy engine and man Dan had such a Dan Gurney had such a big smile he says not many people remember that so that was uh, and I also had the honor and extreme privilege of talking to Dan Gurney many many times and I've run into Parnelli Jones also. Actually, you know, speaking of Parnelli Jones, I ran into his grandson, who is the son of uh, PJ Jones at Daytona. So I had a, we had a nice chat. He's looking for rides and he just graduated. So I said, are you looking for a job in corporate America? He says, no, I moved to Indianapolis. I'm, I'm trying to become a racing driver. So interesting, you know, how these names uh, one way or another keeps floating around. So, okay, sir, that should do it. We have the race uh, next weekend. We'll talk more. And next weekend, folks, we have the interview with Felipe Massa. Please do tune in. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy the week. Good night. Bye-bye.